0: Right, how's everybody doing? Good. All right, we are going to sort of go along the same lines of what Pastor Craig has been teaching on the last couple weeks on, uh, on the mind. What are you thinking on? That's what he's been talking about. So we're going to uh, explore a couple of concepts, see what the Word has to say, uh, sort of lay a foundation for why it's so important to be thinking the right thing, how, how sort of our mind works, and then really one biblical way of Getting the victory. Now there's, there's many, many ways you can, you know, when the Bible talks about renewing your minds, there, there's lots of things you can do. I'm just going to focus on one today. So let's get started on that a little bit. Um, and you know, Pastor Craig has sort of laid this foundation, but I'll go over a couple things real quick. But you know what? Early in, early in your life, your battle with your mind became very evident to you. Okay. Um, how, how many of you ever did this? I got to raise my hand. That elusive cookie jar in the kitchen as a kid. You you knew when mom stuffed that with, oh, good cookies. And And as a kid, you know what? We all went through that. If I can just get to those cookies. And when mom or dad or grandma or grandpa stepped out of the room, your mind began the battle of, they're not looking. I can go get a cookie. Right? How many of you did that? Sure, sure, yeah. We've all had, this, this battle of the mind is nothing new. We've been doing it forever. Um, how many of you have ever faced with the thought of cheating on a test in school? Sure, we've all done it. We've all done it. Uh, how many of you were ever in a store as a kid? I know uh, as a kid, oh, shame on me for ever even trying this. But, you know, I didn't have money to get that little toy I wanted. And I thought, you know what? Nobody's really watching. I could just stick that thing in my jacket right now, right? We, those thoughts come into your mind whether you are good or bad. I mean, we have all battled those things. And the unfortunate thing is the consequences of not maintaining your thought life, the consequences get severely worse as you get older. Okay, Taking that cookie may involve being, you know... Uh, you, you're, no cookies for a few weeks may be the penalty or, you know, your hand may get a little bit sore after mom caught you taking those cookies because you, you get hit, by, hit on the hand or something. But as we get older, the consequences for our unmaintained uh, thought life, not renewing that mind can get worse and worse and worse, especially into your, into your adult years. In fact, I mean, we're well aware of the people putting the wrong things on their mind and the consequences it's caused in this, in this country in this world look at the hatred that's going on the hatred that is going on amongst cultures and most people don't know why they're fighting right Um, when we had all of the racial issues I mean unfortunately they still exist but when they were around years and years and years ago I mean it was just hatred that was passed down from generation to generation and most young kids that grew to be adults they, they, they didn't really understand their hatred why on earth am I hating these people that live down the road from me? It was just people that that, that inability for people to maintain their thought life and get their mind under control has caused hatred. Uh, relationships have failed. You know, uh, I know I've had situations in my family, relationships have failed because of what people thought in their minds and they didn't get that under control. And you know, especially nowadays with our very um, Consuming, gotta have it society. There is so much coveting going on in, in our in our regions and in our country. Not just coveting what people have, coveting lifestyles. Listen, there would be no reason why all this trash is on television if people weren't thinking about that in their minds, right? That oh, if I could be like that superstar, if I could be like that movie star, if I could get myself stuck in a a house with a bunch of strangers for 20 days on a television show, if, if, if those thoughts weren't entertaining, if they would get their thought life under control, they would never even consider those outcomes or behaviors, right? So the thought life is something that's critical to all of us. And whether we face it or not, and whether you come to terms of the importance of your thought life, it is going to impact your life for good or for bad. The Bible says in Psalms 23, I'm sorry, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, uh, the, the mind is really the, the forerunner for everything, every action we take. Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he, or for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And if you were honest with yourself, every action you've taken, every reaction you've taken, every uh, outcome you've established was because you were thinking on that. You, you thought about it in your mind and that caused an outcome. And we've got to make sure that we're thinking the right things, okay? Because the Bible is very specific. There are actions that occur as, as a direct result of our thoughts. Uh, Romans 8, verse 5. Romans 8, verse 5. I'm going to read that from the Amplified. It says, For those who are according to the flesh and are controlled by its unholy desires. So, so here's the key. People who are living by the flesh and controlled by their unholy desires, there's a reason why they're that way. The next phrase says, um, because they set their minds on and pursue after these things which gratify the flesh. So the reason these things occur is because the mind has been set on that. You don't just do actions by accident. You don't just suddenly go rob a bank. You don't just suddenly destroy a relationship with someone close to you. You, you you don't just suddenly make a poor decision no you've been thinking on those things and then it causes an action does that make sense to everyone to keep it at a very simplistic level that that's very true so and it goes on to say uh uh then in second corinthians you know we know this uh for we walk not after the flesh we are not carrying on second corinthians 10:45 from the amplified for though we walk or live in the flesh, we are not carrying on our warfare according to the flesh and using mere human weapons. You, everyone's familiar with this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Now, a lot of people have misrepresented that verse of Scripture to mean we need to cast down the strongholds of the devil. Well, no, that weren't, the, the devil's already been cast down. Jesus did that job. We can't go back and do a better job of that. Jesus already brought the devil down. What they're talking about there is the strongholds in the mind. And it goes on to even say strongholds and imaginations. So the things you imagine in your mind. How many of you have ever been in a situation where for whatever reason something was not what you expected it to be and and you were going to receive the outcome of something in a few days and your mind just played all these different scenarios of what could go wrong? Right? That's an imagination. You were imagining something that hadn't occurred yet. That was an, it wasn't proof. It was just an imagination. And a, at, a, at a young age, we're taught to use our imagination, right? And, and the devil's not dumb. We know, he knows as kids we've developed that tool to imagine. And when you imagine, you can begin to imagine poor outcomes in your life that never cease to exist. And how many of you have ever worried yourself sick about something that never happened? It never happened. But for those few days, you kept imagining these things, you know, and that's why the Bible says you need to cast down those imaginations. So we're going to talk today about, all right, the thought life is very important. I need to renew my mind. You know, as the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I better get, better get a grasp on this thinking thing because this thinking thing is going to control every action. I have to take. So we're going to focus on that today. Okay, so how do, how do I do this? How do I cast down imaginations? How do I get myself thinking the right way according to the, what, what the Bible says? Because the devil is well aware of this little powerful, powerful thing we have called the thought life. In fact, he was the one who messed up big time in the beginning because of his thought life. Um, go with me to Isaiah 14. See, our enemy, although he's defeated, he's smart. He's a deceiver. That's that's his only tool is deception. He has no power. His tool is deception. So he wants to deceive us. And the best way to deceive someone or the best way to bring someone down is to bring them down the way you've been brought down. Do you ever run across someone who's having a rough day and they just want to drag you down with them? They're dragging you down to the same thing they've been brought down with. Does that make sense? The devil operates the same way. The Bible says there is no new thing under the sun, no new thing under man. The way the devil fell, he's going to get us to fall the exact same way because he knows, wow, this really destroyed my life, so therefore I can use it to destroy all of God's creation, the humankinds he created. So in Isaiah 14, verse 12, uh, we're going to see how the devil fell and then how he uses that same thing to get us. Isaiah 14, verse 12. I'm going to read this from the Amplified. It says, How have you fallen from heaven, O light bringer and day star, son of the morning? And he's talking about Lucifer here. How have you been cut down to the ground, you who weakened and laid low the nations? And then it specifically says, O blasphemous, satanic king of Babylon. Here's how he fell, verse 13. You said in your heart, now what does that mean when you say it in your heart? It not mean he spoke it verbally. He said it in his heart. That's his thought life. The thought occurred in the devil first, I will ascend to heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of assembly in the uttermost north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So this was the thought life the devil had. And the devil didn't have the wisdom to combat that thought life. And so constantly thinking that caused him to bring it to an action. And he did bring about an action of, you know, coercing a third of the angels in heaven to get on his bandwagon. And he, he created actions, like the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is what the devil thought, so that's what he eventually did, those actions. And he should have controlled it, before he went to action. And we're going to talk about that today. And knowing that the devil does this, okay, he's going to use this same thing against us. He understands the power of thoughts and imaginations. I mean, it's very clear here in the Bible, the devil imagined himself sitting on the throne of heaven. The devil imagined himself exalting himself above the Most High. He imagined that, and then that was the start of bringing it to action. Make sense to everyone? So we're going to look at, okay, that's the tool he uses, so we need to figure out how this works and what we can do to really get victory over this and and walk in, in the newness that God has called us to do. So, you know, he spent a lot of time considering the possibilities of how he was going to dethrone God, and the lesson we want to learn here is that he really... His downfall came as a result of not maintaining his thought life. Now, when he had these thoughts, he was not the devil as we know him now. He was one of the three most powerful angels in heaven. The Bible records three very powerful angels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. They were exalted above the ranks of the other angels. Okay? And Lucifer was, uh, the Bible records him as this beautiful angel and one of the things he had was music and the 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 beauty of it the bible says that as he flapped his wings pipes let beautiful music flow in the heavens i mean he he was ordained and ornate the bible describes him as his beauty was unlike any other angel he was set up for some good stuff you know and it's an interesting thing getting a little side note but One of his gifts or or things was music, and it's amazing how the devil uses music nowadays to influence people. I mean, he he has that gift, and he can use it for the wrong things. So when he he got these thoughts in his mind, he was not the devil and Satan, as we know. He was Lucifer, one of the greatest angels in the heavenlies. So he was in a good position, a good state, a good position as far as uh, his ranking was concerned. Those thoughts came to him when he was a great angel. So it's not as if those thoughts came when he was evil. Those thoughts came when he was good. So what we need to do is knowing that he has that understanding of maintaining your thought life as not maintaining your thought life as the beginning of bringing people down. We have to understand how how we maintain our thought life. So a couple more verses of Scripture. Um, Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We get an indication of uh, what we need to do in these areas uh, of our thought life. And in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, so we cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So, we're familiar with this. We know we need to cast down imaginations. You know we need to bring you know those thoughts um, into captivity. You know hold them hostage. But here's the interesting thing: we need to examine every thought, because the Bible says here, cast down imaginations and some high things. No, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ. So there is a discipline on our part if we're going to get the battle, uh, win the battle in this that we really maintain every thought. So cast down, imagines anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What does that really mean? Any thought that comes to your mind that goes against what the Bible says about you, what the Bible says for you, and what the Bible says you can have. Okay, It doesn't matter what your situation looks like. What's the knowledge... The word of God says so it's important that we know the word and we'll we'll talk about the, the strategies of that in a second and bring into captivity every thought unto the obedience of Christ meaning every thought needs to line up to what we have or what we are or what we can be in Christ Jesus okay because the devil want us to realize all the bad no now that Jesus came to save us and redeemed us and we've been bought and purchased we have Abilities that we can't even imagine on our own. And the devil doesn't want us to know those. He wants us to understand the curses of sin. He wants us to live in poverty. He wants us to live in sickness and lack and and have those problems. So we need to be, like it says here, we need to just get our thought life under control for every single thought. And, And really think about that for a minute. That can be pretty daunting. Because how many times does just junk come into your head? You know, And all of a sudden, a minute later, you just kind of go, whoa, what was that all about? You know, and it's not as if we're bad people and think on these things. Just this junk comes into your head. But you've got to be diligent and you've got to be, well, the Bible says vigilant. Go to um, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would. This is a really great verse of Scripture. And uh, I'm going to expound on a little bit that uh, Doug Jones, when he was here, laid the foundation for this. And, and I just want to give you a few more insights on, on how we begin to be vigilant. Vigilant. Okay, First Peter chapter five verse eight. This is a really good section of scripture that gives us the indication of how we win this battle of the thought life. It says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour." And then it goes on to say, and be, um, well, let's just stop there. That first verse, the word vigilant, actually, it, it, it implies, it's sort of a war term of to be ever on your guard. So when we're vigilant, we're ever on our guard. The opposite of vigilant is described in the, in the latter part of this verse, um, where it says, oh, it's, it's a little bit later on. Let, let me just say this. The opposite of vigilant would really be um, the opposite of sober, right? you ever seen someone who's, who's not sober and drunk? They're, they're really not on guard. They're not really aware of a lot of things that they're seeing. You know, they, they can get pretty much taken abuse. Uh, they take abuse. People can take advantage of them when they're drunk, right? So the opposite of being drunk is vigilant, being sober, being alert, being very attentive. And that's how the Bible describes we need to be with our thought life. We can't just let casual thoughts run around we need to be vigilant of every thought that comes into our mind. Okay, So why do we need to do this? Why does he say be vigilant? Because he says here, your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walk about seeking whom he may devour. So that's, that's why we need to be vigilant, because the devil is like a lion out there looking for who he may devour. All right, Let me just turn to this verse in 2 Peter. I'm sorry, in 1 Peter. Okay. um, Then verse 9, it says, Whom resisteth steadfast in the faith, knowing... I'm sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. Uh, Verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. That's what I wanted to point out there. that That... that word vigilant is just similar to being sober. And, of course, we know the, we know the opposite of not being sober. Okay? But now let's look into the, the second part of verse 5. It says... Um, wait a minute, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, yeah, verse 5. It says, "...Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder, yea, all be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility..." For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Okay? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Be sober, verse 8, be sober, vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walk about seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Doug Jones, if you remember when he was here, really quickly, he, he talked about this concept of humility. Okay? Humility, he sort of labeled it as the, the humility three-step. Retiring from your way, withdrawing from your way, and yielding to God's way. That's what humility is. Humility is not like the world describes where I'm going to make you eat humble pie. It's not this lowering of your stature by other people. Humility is you withdrawing from your way and yielding to what God would have you to do. Very simply, no matter what the situation is that you're going through, you withdraw from looking at the circumstances you're going through. You withdraw from basing your outcome on the symptoms in your body and you yield to what the Bible says about you. So, for example, I don't care if my back hurts. I don't care if there's a throbbing pain. I'm not moved by the pain in my back. I withdraw my faith, my understanding, my outcome from what my back says and I yield to what the Bible says about me. And the Bible says that it's by Jesus' stripes I've been healed. Make sense? At a very simple level, that's what that means, too. Humility is walking in what the Word of God says about you, not what your situation shows you. All right? And so, in order to walk in humility, we need to... He compares it to being clothed with humility. So, if I had a jacket and I was to put a jacket on, you would know that I was wearing a jacket, right? Right? And then if I take the jacket off, you would know I'm taking the jacket off, right? It's, it's very similar. You understanding whether you're humble or not is very, is very similar to that. You know whether you have a jacket on or whether you have a jacket off. It's, it's not that difficult. You don't have to have a, a, a degree in, in biology to understand whether someone's wearing a jacket or not. That's how easy it is to recognize whether you're walking in humility or not. Am I doing what the Bible says? Or am I doing what my feelings and my thoughts and my situation are dictating? Make sense? That that's, that's, That is easy, simple, basic Bible humility 101. Am I doing what God says? Am I standing on what God says? Or am I doing what I feel, what I see, and what I think? And oftentimes it's those thoughts just make that even worse and worse and worse if we go down that trail. The devil, it says, is your, your adversary. The devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He operates the same way. Again, the devil is not omniscient as God is omniscient. The devil's not all-knowing. He can only react to what he sees and what he observes. When he observes you putting on that cloak of humility, in a sense, he sees that jacket on you, the devil goes on nuts. I can't touch him or her because they're being humble, yielding to God. God's hand is upon them. I can't touch them. But when we get out of humility and we let the situations and the thoughts and the the things we see control us the way we feel, if it's healings in our body, the devil goes, Aha! No cloak of humility. They're not wearing it. I can inflict more upon them because they're not standing on the promises of God's word." Make sense? That's why the Bible says he's your adversary like a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may destroy. You know, I, I did some study. I like, I like all these shows of predators versus prey. I just think that's so cool. Especially when the prey fights back. But uh, lions, they are some of the laziest bums on the face of the earth. I, they really are. They sleep 20 hours a day. And then they get up and, the, and the, the male lions are the worst. They sleep, they get up and they send the women out to go hunt food. And then they show up and eat. They're pathetic. They are lazy bums. See, the devil is not a strong, powerful force of a lion because it it says the devil is like a lion, meaning he takes characteristics of a lion. Okay, this is what the devil does. He's a lazy bum that sits around all day waiting for that weak animal to walk by, right? Because that's what lions do. A lion could never attack the strongest zebra. A lion could never catch the fastest, swiftest gazelle. lion could never take down a powerful water buffalo. Can't stand a chance. But what they do is they look for the weak ones. So the devil does that. He sits around like a lazy bum all day, waiting for those Christians to walk by that are what? That are not in humility, that are not yielding to God, that are not doing what the Bible says we can have and we can do. And the devil goes, ah, uh-huh. they're not wearing their coat that code of humility, I can get into them because I can put some thoughts in their life and I can get them thinking contrary to what the Bible says and I got them because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's the only power the devil has. That's why the Bible calls him a deceiver. That's all he can do is deceive. That's all he can do. So what we need to do is we need to be able to combat that and this verse of Scripture shows us how we do it. Okay. So verse 6 it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Well, what does that mean to humble ourselves? Humble means withdraw from your way of thinking and start thinking God's way. That's it. That's what humility is. Okay, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a situation. Man, this situation stinks. I can't believe this is happening again. Why is this going on, God? Anybody ever have those thoughts in your head? Okay. That's not humility. That is pride. Pride is the opposite of humility. Pride is, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to think my way. I'm going to react my way. And the Bible says, no, 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 no. What does God say? And when you walk in humility, you get what verse 6, it says, six says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And what happens when you humble yourself? When you withdraw from your way and yield to God's way, He exalts you, in due time. okay. And it says, how do you do that? You cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. And now be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil has a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. So, it's interesting in verse 5. Let, let, there's some pretty harsh words that come out here. The end of verse 5 said, God resists the proud. God resists the proud. And you may think, whoa, God resists people? No way. And actually, he doesn't. That's just that, the interpretation of that word. Because that same word shows up again in verse 9 when it's talking about how we relate to the devil with respect to our thought life. It says, resist him steadfast in the faith. So the same resisting that God does to those who don't walk in humility is the same kind of resisting... We're supposed to do when the devil comes up against us. And really that word resist is not as we would think, meaning God resists. When, when we walk, um, I should say this, when, when God, God is not out there resisting people going, oh no, nope, you're not getting access to my kingdom today. Nope, God, God's not in that. He's not in the resisting business. In fact, we live in a time of, this is a time of grace and mercy. And he extends that throughout all the world to all mankind. But what that word actually means, that word resisteth in the Greek is the word antitaso, and it means to go against the set order. Okay? It's it's actually a military term. It means to go against the set order. So in verse 5, when the Bible says God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, what it means is God goes against the set order Established by the pride. Proudful. Okay? Let me, let me do this very simply. I've done this before. It makes a lot of sense and then we'll go into how we actually do this. When you're walking in pride, you're doing it my way. I don't care what God says. I'm stubborn. I'm doing it my way. I think my way is best. My thinking. You right, right? And God says, now wait a minute. If you want my blessings in life, God has to, He cannot go with the order That's established. What God needs, God says he resists the proud. He goes against the order they established because you have two choices in any matter. You can do it God's way or you can do it your way. And you have to, one of those is going to take first place and the other is going to fall behind it. Whichever choice you make, in any situation, any thought, any action you take, there's God's way and there's your way. There's pride and humility. So at that moment, when you make that decision, when God says he resists the proud, the proud do what? Do they do things God's way? No, they do things their way. So they've established the order of, I'm doing my way first, and they position God's way behind their way. So when the Bible says God resists the proud, he's saying, I am against the order you've established. When you do your ways before my ways, you've tied my hands. I can't move in that situation because you have put yourself and your thinking and your actions above what I want you to think and how I want you to act, God's saying. Make sense? Okay? So then at the latter part of this particular verse of Scripture in verse 9, when it's talking about the devil, he's like this lion walking around seeking who he may devour. Remember, he can only devour those that are not wearing the cloak of humility. The cloak of humility is, is those that are doing things God's way, right? So the devil comes around. he can't mess with people that have established this order. He can't touch them, because when they're walking in the way God would have things do, God's word is true, it always works. It never goes out and comes back void. It always accomplishes that which he's purposed. So when you put God's ways in front of your ways, God's ways first, that order is now humility. And you have power and strength and and the power of God behind you. So the devil comes along and he's looking for those he can devour. He can't devour people who have established this order in their lives. What the devil's looking for are those weak Christians who have put their way in front of God's way. Now, as a roaring lion seeking who he wants to devour, he can go after people whose thoughts life are not under control and don't know what the Bible says about them. And he can now attack because this is a weak individual. This is an individual that's at that moment not not really under the grace of God from the perspective of humility and pride. So what what does God say? When you're faced with that situation, the Bible says what? Verse 9, Therefore, resist the devil. How do you do it? Humble yourself. Resist him steadfast in the faith. What does that word resist mean? It doesn't mean you're against, yes, certainly we're against the devil, but that word resist means change the order that's established, right? So when you're faced with this, what do you do? Resist the devil. You change the order that's established and you go back to doing things God's way. How do you know you're acting like this? You can know because it's just, you know as well as you're putting on a coat. Let's be honest, guys. We know when we're not listening to the word of God. We know when we're getting a little too big in our britches, we know when we're getting a little too prideful, we know when we're being a little too stubborn, right? I mean, I, I know when I get an attitude and get upset about a situation in my life, right? And, I, and I, I start that, man, why is this happening again? Anybody gone down that road? Yeah, yeah, you've probably seen me on that road. I struggle with that every day, guys. But what we need to do is, I don't want the devil to see me in this situation, so what I, I resist him. Just as God resists the proud, he's against the order they've established. When we're in this situation, the, the, the very easy thing to do is, the Bible says, resist him. Meaning, change the order that's been established. When these thoughts come into your mind that are contrary to what God says about you, you change the order. You go, no, 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 no. I know what God's word said about me. And it's that simple. You don't need to go on a 60-day fast. You don't need to pray for eight hours. You need to change your mind. How quickly can you change your mind? Snap your fingers. That's how quickly you can resist the devil. That's how quickly you can get out of pride and walk in humility. It's not something you have to take a 12-week class to do. It's not something, Oh, I'll get the victory over this when I get to church on Sunday. No, no. Change your mind. It's that simple. It's, it's a matter of your thought life, and changing your mind. Make sense? It's that simple. Now, let's talk about one way to do this. Okay, well, how do I change my mind? Because sometimes... you ever been embroiled in a situation or, or a, a, a test and a trial going through your life, and it is wearing you down? You are tired. You're worn out. Nothing just really seems to be getting better. Anybody been in that situation? Good. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, you're just... Oh, come on, it can't get any worse. I've got... You know what I'm saying? And and you Ah, what do I do? I want to change my mind, but my mind is frustrated and I I change the order and my mind is frustrated and I change the order and tomorrow something else happens. Anybody have that? Good. I'm not alone. Yeah, so what do we do? Here's the key I found in the Bible. Uh, Turn with me to the book of Psalms. One way that we resist the devil, one way that we begin to change our mind the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Psalms 34, verse 1. Now, this is a psalm in your Bible. If you uh, have little headings before the book of Psalms, your, your psalm may say, a psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. Anybody have that in your Bible? So, that actual story of, of this particular psalm, the result of this psalm, came from a story in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 through 12. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 through 12. You can just make note of that. I'm not going to read it. But the situation here is David had just... You know, this was after David killed Goliath. So the word was out that Saul kills his thousands, but David is ten thousands. David was this massive, mean, incre- not mean, but tough warrior. And the word was spread, and it went out to Abimelech. And actually, um, you'll see in uh, 1 Samuel that... Abimelech is actually referred to as Akish. Akish was his name. Abimelech was sort of his title as king, okay? So that's where you'll read that. but But David was faced with this situation where David was running from Saul at this point, and this king Abimelech, or Akish was his name, his his soldiers made them aware that David was in their area. And so they asked David was actually. Uh, the, those soldiers tried to get David and bring him into the court. So this guy wanted to really, if this warrior is in my country and he's, and he's fleeing his homeland and he's on his own, I'm going to take him out right now. Okay? And so David was faced with this situation. And so under, you know, the, the divine anointing of God, he wrote uh, Psalm 34. And he says this, faced with his situation, I will bless the Lord at all time. His praise shall continue to be in my mouth. My soul or, in a sense, my mind, my thoughts, shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord, He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears. I want to just introduce one thing you can do when you're faced with this situation of, you know, pride versus humility, thought life these things come into your mind one way to combat them very simple one way there's many ways one way is to begin magnifying the lord magnifying the lord the bible we'll read a few more verses of scripture but when you magnify the lord you're not making god any bigger than he already is You, you can't do that you can't make god any bigger but when you magnify the lord you're making god bigger in your mind you're lifting him up above the trials you're going through. You're exalting Him. And that's what the word magnify means. It means to make large. okay, And it means to make large from a physical sense in body. And that word in the Greek also and in the Hebrew talks about making large in the mind, if you look that up in the concordances. So there's a place where you begin to magnify God in your mind. And what are you doing? You're making Him bigger than any situation you're facing at that moment. And that's a key. That's a key. Uh, Let's go to another one. Psalm 35, verse 26. Psalm 35, verse 26. Here's a situation too where again David was fleeing from Saul and the story goes on to say this. Uh, David is writing this psalm and in verse chapter 35, verse 26 he says, Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice in my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Boy, that's Old Testament words, but that is very close to what we've been talking about because what happens? Shame, confusion, and dishonor happen when, when they did what? They magnified who? Themselves. So when they make their situation and they magnify their situation bigger than what God has, Guess what happens? It brings shame. It brings dishonor. It brings confusion. How many of you have been in that situation? Because you made your little problem bigger than God. You magnified yourself instead of magnifying God. So the very next verse of Scripture, David gives us an insight. He says, let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Here he was talking about the, the men and women that stood behind David because Saul was trying to kill him. So David was rallying people to his side. So he was talking both specifically to the people at that time and God prophetically to all of us. He said, let them say continually, Isn't it? let them say, so you're faced with this situation, what do you need to do? You need to say continually, let the Lord be magnified. So it's something, this is a key to getting victory in these areas of your thought life. Every time a thought comes up that's contrary to what the Word says, and that really speaks on a situation you're going through, don't say the problem magnify God. Magnify God and make God bigger than your problem, because you know what? We all know He is bigger than our problem. The Bible says with God nothing is impossible. That's how you get a sort of a victory in your thought life. Every time those thoughts come up, that think about bad situations in your life, and think about hurts that you're going through, and... and sickness in your body or problems in your finances. You magnify God and make God larger than the problem you're going through because with God nothing is impossible. And David even gives us a secret. When you say continually let the Lord be magnified, look what happens next. Pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. You begin to magnify God. You begin to lift Him up, make Him bigger than your situation and God promises prosperity to his servants. And that word prosperity doesn't only mean money. It means you prosper in every area of your life. You prosper in your health. You prosper in your relationships. You prosper in your finances. You prosper in your skills and ability to, to, to succeed. In, you get what I'm saying? Prosperity goes across the whole board. And that prosperity comes there from what David says when we say continually we magnify the Lord. So therein therein is just a key, one more key, that you can accomplish for yourself to maintain your thought life. Get it to a situation where any time your way gets exalted above God's way. And listen, guys, that happens a lot, right? All day long. How many times have thoughts come into your head that, oh, now this, oh, woe is me, oh, my kids, oh, my spouse, oh, my job, right? We have them all the time. Oh, my... Oh, I don't feel good. Oh. No, no. Get, get out of pride and get in humility. Humility says, I don't care what my situation looks like. I don't care what I think. I'm going to do what God says. And one way to get from changing the order from pride to humility is to begin to magnify God. When you lift him up, he becomes bigger than your situation. And, and the Bible says you get more grace. For those situations, and you begin to lift up God and you exalt Him and you bless Him, it makes God larger—not Him larger, but in your eyes, what He can do for you becomes larger and is above any problem you're facing. Make sense? Glory to God! All right, so stand with me real quick. We'll pray and then we'll let you guys go, and you can start magnifying God all day long. Father, thank you. We appreciate Your Word. We appreciate Your goodness. Lord, thank you that we have an opportunity, Lord, to gain victory in every area of our life, including our thought life. Thank you, Father, that I I just pray a blessing and wisdom and knowledge upon all of these people here, Lord. Whatever the situation is, Father, you're always going to provide a way out. And one of those ways out is always magnifying you. So, Father, we determine in our hearts today that no matter what situation we're faced with, we're going to walk in humility and we are going to magnify you and make you larger than any problem in our life. We believe this in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen. Glory to God. All right, you guys have a great day.